Hey, hey, and welcome to the Meet Me Downstairs podcast. I'm your host, Britt, and I'm super happy to have you today. This podcast is dedicated to honoring the woman within the mother and the woman within ourselves, mother or not. We are talking about the divine feminine, educating ourselves on our body, learning how to love ourselves a little bit better, and meet some really interesting people along the way. So I hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Meet Me Downstairs. Today, we are getting into a little bit of a controversial topic, but I mean, what isn't controversial in the world of parenting today? Um, But in particular, we are talking about toddler and infant sleep with an emphasis on the sleep training industry and how that has impacted natural and intuitive parenting. Our guest is Caitlin Klimmer, who has made ways on social media talking all about sleep. She is an account that I find a lot of solace in. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology, a diploma in forest school education, a baby-led and well-being specialization, and most recently, a certification in breastfeeding education. Her goal and mission is to help educate parents trust their own nurturing intuition and sort of parent from there. So for me, I feel like this is a really important conversation to have. And before we get into it, I'm going to reiterate something that Caitlin already says as you get into the episode, which is that the judgments and issues that she and I raise are with the sleep training industry only and not the parents who choose to implement certain methods. We all have to do what is best for our family So as you listen to our episode today, just embrace what feels right and leave what doesn't. This is a space of love first and foremost. Okay, so let's get into it with Caitlin. We are here with Caitlin and I'm so excited. I love your social media and I feel like you just spelt some real shit and (laughs) very grateful for it. So thanks for being here today. I'm so thrilled to be here and to be chatting. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to start with a couple of rapid fire questions, super quick, just to get to know you a little bit, break the ice, and then we will talk about sleep. <laughs> so sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Poetry books or novels? Novels. Favorite guilty pleasure? Instagram. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I spend um, way too much time on this. Oh, same. A feeling that you love to feel? delight in my children Mm. a feeling that you don't like to feel overwhelmed a current streaming binge um I don't have any I need some recommendations (laughs) okay well I currently my streaming binge is Yellowstone um oh I've never even heard of it it's all about is that on Netflix or Amazon or well it's on Paramount plus but I've been not watching it on there um (laughs) um but it's like about cow I don't know why I'm into it it's about cowboys whatever it's no that's I I don't think that's gonna do it for me no it's anyway (laughs) yeah cowboys yeah I mean I would have to give a proper description but yeah 
I don't know how you know what, if someone tried to describe the handmaid's tale to me I wouldn't be into that either but actually I love it so much so maybe I'm maybe I'm being too harsh on your cowboys maybe it's actually good. yeah well it's a show that I didn't think I would be into but it's very interesting I mean maybe look it up the guys are kind of cute yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah, it always helps um okay a musician that you love right now Xavier Red. Mm, amazing wow love him <laughs> Uh, one of your favorite things about being a woman? A woman? Yes. Um, the fact that I was able to carry and feed my children. Definitely. And then last one is your one of your favorite things about being a mother. The fact that I was able to carry and feed <laughs> and now snuggle my children. And for those who can't see, uh, baby Romy is, is joining us today. The little... <laughs> Michelin baby (laughs) that she is so if you hear some funny noises in the background it's her amazing all right so today we are talking about sleep and in particular toddler and infant sleep and I know that this topic is quite controversial but I'm actually excited to talk about it with you because I think in general like society kind of has been moving further and further away from natural sleep, natural parenting, natural birth. So I figure let's just get straight into the meat of it. Let's talk about the sleep training industry and your thoughts about it and how you feel it's impacting parenting today. Yeah. So the first thing that I want to acknowledge is that, you know, we can be critical of the sleep training industry without being critical of the parents who sleep train, Uh, whether that's because they thought at the time that that's just what everyone did and they had to do it or whether it's because um you know they tried all the other things and sleep training was was the last bit and so um i am extremely critical of the sleep training industry as you'll hear but i understand that the reasons parents choose to sleep train are extremely complex and um <clears throat> i i am not critical of the of the parents and actually some some people who are very close to me in my life have sleep trained. Um, and I think they are fantastic parents and their children are incredibly secure children. So I am, yeah, um, supportive of parents, not so supportive of the sleep training industry. And the reason, um, well, there's a lot of reasons, but the problems with the sleep training industry as I see them, to name just a few, um, it, it conditions parents to look to an external force to know how to parent our children. So we, we buy these sleep training programs or we follow these sleep training accounts on Instagram and they kind of present us all of these rules that we have to do. You have to do this, you have to do that. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Make sure that your baby's wake windows are this long at this age. Uh, make sure that your babies are falling asleep by 7 p.m. Anything later and they're not going to get a restorative sleep. And, and we stop looking to our children and to our own families and the own needs of our, of our family to know what to do. And we start to look to these external experts or so-called experts. And we lose a lot of our intuition and our parenting power as a result. Um, we no longer trust ourselves. We no longer trust our own judgment. We no longer trust what our children are trying to communicate to us, right? Because these outside experts must know our children better than we than we do. And that's absolutely not the case. So that's, I think, one of my biggest concerns with the sleep training industry is it kind of robs us of our parenting intuition. Um, another big uh, problem that I have with the industry is that it ignores what is biologically normal infant sleep. And it very much creates a problem where there isn't one. Mm-hmm. So for the first year, at least, and that's like 
that's like the bare minimum is one year. Um, babies are meant to be waking and waking often, not just to protect the breastfeeding fly, but that's absolutely a part of it. But even babies who are formula fed, we know that they wake up multiple times a night for comfort, for support, falling back asleep um, because they're too hot, too cold, uncomfortable, need a fresh diaper, whatever it is. And these are all really valid needs. And we can um, train a baby to stop signaling, but we can't train a baby to sleep through the night. And when we try to do that, then we are, um, like I said, ignoring what is biologically normal for our species, which is to wake frequently, even as adults, we continue to wake. And for infants and toddlers to need support and need caregiver proximity and reassurance to fall back asleep. Um, another problem that I have is that it is pitting uh, parental mental health against infant mental health, when in my opinion, both can coexist together. So one thing that we often hear sleep trainers say is that, um, you know, in order to protect yourself from PPA and PPD, you have to be getting eight hours straight of sleep every night. And um, a happy mom is a happy baby. And, you know, there is a level of truth to this, but um, it is also true to say that for many parents, hearing their own infant cry and forcing themselves not to respond exasperates PPA and PPD because that's a very unnatural thing to do. We all feel a, an innate biological um, frenzy inside of us when our baby cries and we don't go to them. Um, and so that can, doing that repeatedly day after day after day can exasperate um, PPA and PPD, as can the stress of following the rules that I just mentioned, right? So when we are consumed with, with recording how many minutes our baby slept for, how many minutes they're awake for, trying to make sure that they fall asleep at this time, um, this many times a day, that can also really exasperate PPA because we're, we're holding on so tightly trying to control this, this sleep, somebody else's sleep um, at that, which we just can't do. And, and then that can kind of uh, cause us to spiral. And, you know, there are I don't want to undermine the significance of PPA and PPD and, and perinatal mood disorders, but um, there is a way that we can support parents who are experiencing that while continuing to support um, the biological needs of our children and, and the need that they have for proximity and, and, and caregiver um, support and reassurance. Yeah. Um, sleep training is dangerous for the breastfeeding relationship. For those who are breast or body feeding, sleep training can uh, jeopardize that when we are stretching out feeds for um, an unnaturally long amount of time or a longer time than our baby is ready for, a longer time than our body can handle. Um, and that can cause our supply to tank. And then mm -hmm. we often see, you know, maybe a month or two months after sleep training, oh, well, my supply dried up. Um, but it wasn't because of sleep training because I did that a month ago or I did that two months ago. Well, this, this supply tank wouldn't happen overnight anyways. But when we are seeing supply issues after sleep training, very often can be the result of reducing demand, which then in effect reduces supply. And another big problem that I have with the sleep training industry is that they're very covert about the methods that they use. So it's really trendy at the moment for everyone and their dog to say, I'm a gentle sleep trainer. Um, we have gentle methods, gentle techniques, and they won't disclose what those techniques are until after you bought their course or, or purchased whatever product that is they're selling. But more often than not, they are asking you to limit the amount of responsiveness you're giving in a way that doesn't feel good for you or your baby. And I, I don't think that 
that's what we should be encouraging parents to do. What we need to be encouraging parents to do is to protect that attachment relationship and to trust their own intuition, like I said, and trust that they know exactly what kind of response their baby or their child needs. And they can continue to give that response, even if they are trying to make changes to one or two pieces that aren't working for the family anymore. So I'll stop there because otherwise <laughs> this is the only question we'll get to. Um, but these are just kind of a lot of the, a lot of the, issues that I personally take with the sleep training industry yeah definitely and I think that you touched on it an interesting topic which is that it's kind of like this notion of controlling sleep becoming obsessed with it like I remember with my little one I did try sleep training it didn't work for us in the end but it was like uh, it has to be done at this time you have to do this you can't do this it's like you're really in this loop of trying to get it done and you had done a post. I, I didn't know about you at that time. I've only found out about you now that my now that I'm co-sleeping, <laughs> which we'll talk about. But you did talk in a post that you had about sleep being a biological function and a developmental progression, not a skill that we teach. And I thought that was really enlightening for me. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that deeper as well. Yeah, I'm sure. So there are two things that go into whether or not a person, whether that's, you know, a baby or a toddler or an adult can fall asleep. And that is homeostatic sleep pressure, which is just another way of saying how tired you are, mm-hmm. um, and circadian rhythm. And circadian rhythm, you know, it encompasses things like hormones, digestion, a bunch of things. It's kind of an umbrella term. But basically, there are these two biological components that we need in order to feel sleepy and fall asleep. And we can decide that 3 p.m. is nap time, but if our child doesn't have enough sleep pressure and that's not aligned with their circadian rhythm, then they're not going to fall asleep. And we're going to be in their bedroom kind of rocking them in a dark room for who knows how long, trying to get a not tired baby or kid to fall asleep. And we can do a lot of things to kind of get in the way of sleep. We can do a lot of things to prepare the environment and and make sure that our children feel calm and feel safe going into sleep. But the actual sleep itself, we cannot do that on command. It'd be like asking someone to pee on command or asking a baby, you know what? Oh, you're, you're 10 months old now. It's time for you to walk. So up you go, Mm -hmm. like just get up and go. Um, And even we we also see that with all the other milestones that our children reach. Um, They don't learn these things from one day to the next. And, And we certainly don't teach them these things by just leaving them on their own to figure it out, right? We don't teach a baby how to walk by not carrying them anymore we don't teach a baby how to talk by uh, not responding to their to their babbles and coos and and pointing at things until they use words Um, we don't teach a baby how to eat solids by just withholding all breast milk or formula right like there's always this like natural progression where we are supporting the child and we are supporting what it is they can do at the moment knowing full well that they're going to get to the next point when they're ready to and the same is true for sleep let's meet them where we're at let's support what they are able to do while constantly nudging them into the direction that we want them to head into which is independent sleep which we which is going to happen anyways, right? Like all children eventually learn how to sleep. I don't know very many, I don't know, college kids who are still climbing into bed with their parents at night. And to be honest, if my college kid did come and cuddle with me, I don't think I'd be too upset about it. Definitely. I think it's nice that you're using those analogies of natural progression with our kids too, because that's a, it's actually a nice way to like wrap your head around it you are like, just as you said, you know, you're not forcing them to walk, you're not forcing them to eat, you're doing this in a way that where maybe you're introducing it, maybe you're just guiding, but it's not doesn't have to be done today. And that's a nice I think that's a nice comparison. And the other thing that I just 
found like myself when I was kind of going through this, my son is two and a half, we are fully co-sleeping. And um, I just felt like when I was going through that decision, there are a lot of fair tactics that are used with sleep. And it was, I remember being scared, like of going into doing co-sleeping and it wasn't really and that's how I found you and other accounts like yours because you're just looking for support you're looking for people to kind of be also where you're at making decisions that you feel are right for you and your family and side note I'm also a doula and there's just so many fair tactics used in birth there's so many fair tactics used in parenting and I just it like makes me so upset because I think it can limit the way that you're parenting. And, and I just thought I would ask you your, your thoughts and how we as parents can push beyond that and sort of figure out our own way of drowning out that noise or finding, finding your own rhythm within all of it. So actually this is something that I talk a lot about it's uh, in my course. And actually it's the first thing that I touch on because um, more than I want anyone to listen to what I have to say or what anyone else has to say, mm-hmm. I want parents to listen to what feels good. Yeah. And it's a question I ask myself all the time is, does this feel good? So when we kind of relate that back to sleep, when I am trying 20 times in one evening to lie my baby in a crib that they just refuse to sleep in. And every time I lie them down, they wake up and they cry. Eventually I ask myself, does this feel good? Mm-hmm. And then if I just bring my baby into bed next to me and we both fall asleep, does that feel good? And I think that when we just stop and ask ourselves, does this feel good right now? We can... the answer becomes so clear. And um, it also kind of leads me to an important distinction between instinct and intuition, right? A lot of us, um, we might respond to something that our baby is doing or that our child is doing instinctively, but that's not necessarily our intuition. Our instinct is very much, let's say, and that's my baby in the background. (laughs) Our instinct is very much shaped by the way that we were parented, first and foremost, that kind of blueprint that we received from our uh, parents and, and the experience of being parented. But also, like you touched on, the societal noise that's going on around us and the opinions and, and, and the advice and the rules that we are constantly exposed to. And so we sometimes have these knee-jerk reactions that come more from our instincts than our intuition, whereas our intuition is this deep, intrinsic need to nurture. And sometimes we might do something instinctively, like I can I can think of maybe like flying off the handle um, when my toddler does something, and, and that was kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. And then I'm like, oh, well, are my instincts wrong? Like, uh, why did I do this? And instincts don't always take us down a nurturing path. We can sometimes do something and afterwards feel shame or guilty of how we responded. Intuition never leaves us feeling that way, right? So when we follow our intuition, when we look back in hindsight, we won't regret the way that we acted. We won't regret the decisions that we made. And so I'm never going to look back and regret having nursed my baby to sleep or having cuddled my baby to sleep or having rocked my baby to sleep. I might regret forcing them to scream in their crib for 20 minutes. I might regret um, withholding feedings because that's what this sleep training program told me I had to do. I could only feed every four or six hours, you know, and then, and then that's how we know that that's not our intuition that is guiding us. And I think coming back to this question, does this feel good for me right now? my baby. Yeah, you're right. And that I, that's essentially what led me because I, I did a sleep training course, you know, all of my friends were doing sleep training. And again, I like what you said at the beginning, like not judging the parents, you're just, you know, you're judging the industry itself. And so anyways, we did that. And, and for a little bit, it started to work. And then there was this one night where my son 
was crying and maybe it was like 20 minutes and I was just sitting outside. It like feels like the longest time of your life. And he cried so much that he vomited and that was, I've never done it again. That was like, I couldn't in my body. It just, everything felt wrong. Nothing felt right. And I was like, this is not happening. This is not what we're doing. It's not working. And like you said, that night he came in, he slept with me. I mean, I didn't really sleep. (laughs) (laughs) because I was more nervous of what was going on or like these thoughts like that co-sleeping could be dangerous. Um, Mm -hmm. But he slept and in my heart, it felt that that was the right thing to do. And I mean, this this fear mongering never hit home like it did when I moved. I'm Canadian. I was born and raised in Canada and um, was exposed to a lot of parenting beliefs, obviously, um, having grown up there. Uh, when I was in my late 20s, I moved to Austria because my husband is Austrian. And um, shortly afterwards, we got pregnant with our first. And that's when I realized that literally everybody here bed shares. And even after I delivered her in the hospital, um, she was in bed with me, sleeping with me. And I was just blown away because it's so taboo in Canada. Um, You know, people are hiding the fact that they're doing it. They're hiding it from their pediatricians. And then just across the pond over here in, in Central Europe, it's so normal. And, and even to this day, people here in Austria, they're kind of like, why are you, why are you always going on about bed sharing? And I'm like, yeah, because from where, where I come from, babies sleep in their crib from day yeah. one, like yeah. there is no bed sharing. And they're like, what? And it, they, they can't even wrap their minds around this idea of not bringing your baby into bed with you. And so it's just so important to remember that this, this fear mongering that does go on in North America, is very culturally induced and it is not the norm in so many parts of the world. In fact, most of the world bed shares. And that can be a sense of comfort too, because I didn't know that. I mean, when we're in our world, we're in our world. We don't often look too far outside, especially to other cultures to see what's going on. So that is nice to know. And for anybody who is like considering it or, you know, unsure about it, there's a whole, I guess there's a whole big part of the world that does this every single day. (laughs) Exactly. Most of Europe does it. I mean, there are some countries where vegetarians aren't as common. Yeah. It's it's very individual, but based on the culture, but yeah, here in Austria and and most of Germany as well, (laughs) babies start off bed sharing and Mm -hmm. tell about it. So I think that's an important point to consider. Definitely. And I was going to talk to you a little bit about a couple of like the stereotypes. And that is one of them that I had, which is that co-sleeping is dangerous. So maybe we can, while we're on this topic, we can get into that a little bit more and, and maybe even share some benefits as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there can be risks to bed sharing, but a lot of these risks can be avoided when we set up our environment safely. So there's also risks to uh, driving in a car with our babies. There's risks to introducing solids. There's risks to going to a a swimming pool or to the lake with our babies. But we do these risks. We undertake these risks because we believe that the benefits outweigh the risks and we can mitigate those risks as much as possible. And the same is true for bed sharing. So it's a really good idea for all parents, even if they swear they will never ever 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 bed share it is still a good idea to read up on the safe bed sharing guidelines and to prepare your environment as if you were going to bed share even if you swear you don't I believe you but because we do not know what we're going to do at three o'clock in the morning when our baby will not lie down and we are desperate for sleep or when we're about to fall asleep in a rocking chair or on the couch which by the way is never safe Mm -hmm. Um, if you're going to fall asleep anywhere it needs to be your bed which is which has been safely prepared Um, And 
when we mitigate the, uh, excuse me, mitigate those risks, then the chances of something terrible happening like suffocation or entrapment go down to nearly zero. Uh, and so the biggest risk factors for entrapment or suffocation or for SIDS is that if the pregnant person smoked during pregnancy, if the pregnant person or their partner smoke after childbirth and that uh, that partner is in sleeping in the same room if the baby was born preterm if the baby is formula feeding and then things like blankets and pillows and actually even long hair loose clothing cords cell phone chargers things like that in the sleeping environment so if you check out my instagram got a highlight with all those safe bed sharing guidelines la lash league is another great resource for safe bed sharing guidelines so i just really encourage all parents to read up on that because you never know what you're going to do like I said, at three o'clock in the morning when you're exhausted. And then the other thing to consider is there are a lot of be benefits to bed sharing. The first, like I already touched on, is that it protects the breastfeeding relationship because uh, breastfeeding parents find it easier to nurse their children when they're right next to them. And all they have to do is kind of slide them over to, to their chest and nurse them, right? But when you have to get up, walk over to a crib and... Um, sit down and nurse the baby and then support them back to sleep X amount of times a night, potentially every two hours at night, it's easy to see why some of these parents might choose to wean a little bit earlier than they otherwise might have because of the exhaustion that comes with feeding a baby who's not sleeping next to you in bed. So yeah, bed sharing is very protective of the breastfeeding relationship. The other big benefit for bed sharing is, which I find fascinating, there's an exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen between the mother and the infant. So every time that the mother exhales a little bit of carbon dioxide, that triggers an oxygen inhale from the infant. And so we think that bed sharing can actually be protective against SIDS because it is keeping the infant in the lighter stage of sleep and promoting um, regular breathing patterns, which I find so fascinating. Wow, I actually didn't know that. That's pretty incredible. It is. Bed sharing keeps babies and the mother in a lighter state of arousal. So there's this unconscious kind of synchronicity between the infant and the child where every time that they, uh, sorry, between the infant and the mother, and every time one person in that dyad kind of moves or changes position or move, uh, makes a little sound, the other person responds accordingly. And this is happening in our sleep. So we are actually in tune with our babies while we are sleeping. And I've heard from a lot of parents, you know, um, my baby did this or that kind of really scary thing, uh, maybe stopped breathing briefly or started to choke on the spit up a little bit. And I woke up in my sleep like I knew it was happening. I hear this often. Or my baby had rolled and was about to roll off the edge and I woke up and caught them right at the last second. Like I hear incredible stories like this all the time. And on the one hand, you know, they're always so shocking. They always take me aback because I think, wow, so incredible that that mother intuition is so powerful. But then on the other hand, I'm not surprised at all because of the synchronicity that happens even while we're sleeping with our with our infant. And then none of this even touches on the fact that it just helps babies feel so safe and, and, and secure and, and like they're being protected all, all night long, right? It's a very unnatural thing for a baby to be separated from their caregiver. And when we think of it in evolutionary terms, babies wouldn't have survived if they had been put to sleep in a different hut every night. There was, you know, spiders and snakes and other reptiles and other bigger animals that were on the prowl every night. And babies needed to be sleeping next to their caregivers in order to survive infancy. And although times have obviously changed and we know that our babies aren't at risk of being eaten by a spider, our babies' brains don't know that. And so they are still wired to seek proximity. I mean, we are animals at the end of the day. So that survival 
survival instinct is like in us at all times, especially newborns. Okay. So the next one I have here that I'd love to chat about is crying it out helps them to self-soothe. Yeah. So there was actually an interesting study done where, because a lot of the a lot of the sleep training research relies on parental reporting, which we know in, in the field of developmental psychology is an extremely inaccurate representation of what is actually going on. Parents are notoriously bad um, reporters when it comes to answering questions about themselves and their own children. And so when parents are asked about their children's sleep habits, their, their results are usually, or their answers are usually quite biased. So <clears throat> There was a fascinating study done where parents were asked about their children's sleep habits after having done um, some sleep training interventions and the parents said it was working great. They were sleeping great. Their babies were sleeping great. And then those same families were brought into a sleep lab where the babies were hooked up to what is called an actigraphy. So um, the basically machines that are telling you when you're awake and when you're asleep. And what they found was that the babies who had been sleep training were sleeping on average something like... I can't remember it exactly now, but I want to say like nine or 11 minutes more every night than babies who had never been sleep trained. So it wasn't in fact that those babies were sleeping through the night after the sleep training intervention. It was simply that they had stopped signaling for their caregivers to come and their caregivers were sleeping through the night and assuming that their babies were doing the same. So we can absolutely train our babies to stop crying out for us simply by teaching them that no one's going to come and it's a waste of energy and you're better off conserving that energy for your survival because as far as you're concerned, you've been left alone. Nobody's coming and, you know, crying and crying and crying is wasted energy. So you might as well give that up. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we've taught anything in the way of sleep and and this study using the actigraphy kind of kind of tells us that. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Um, And then the last one here that we can touch on is that baby wearing or cuddling your baby to sleep instills bad habits. (laughs) I don't even really know where to start with that one. So yeah, baby wearing or cuddling or rocking or or supporting your baby to sleep in any way, shape or form, including nursing or or, um, feeding your baby. You know, what that does is it creates a sense of calm in your baby and calm is what we need and want our babies to feel as they're drifting off to sleep. It creates an association with sleep being something that is relaxed, with which is bonding, which brings me and my caregiver together. Um, I feel safe when I'm falling asleep. And so I can't really start like even start to fathom how this could be a bad habit because these are all things that we want our children to feel as they're falling asleep. And we want our children to associate going to sleep with. Um, and the more we can provide early life experiences that tell our children that sleep is safe, sleep is not threatening, then the more confident our children feel eventually sleeping alone, because experience tells them again and again, you know, my caregivers are going to be there for me if I need them to. If I need support, if I need someone to come back to me, if I need to be, you know, helped to sleep one night, my caregivers have got that. And and that kind of lays down the foundation or, or the groundwork of this trusting relationship where the children feel not because they've been pushed to be independent, but they just feel secure enough to, to um, take those steps towards independence more and more. And um, I never sleep trained my oldest daughter. She's four now. And she sleeps through the night, not because we forced her to, not because we said that, you know, it's, it's time and, and we're not going to help you to sleep anymore, but just because she was ready to. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes she wakes up and she calls out and we go and give her a cuddle. And, and then that's that. And she goes back to sleep. But, you know, this idea that we're doomed if we support our children to sleep and they're never going to fall asleep. I mean, 
it's just not based on anything. There's absolutely no truth to it. And I know plenty of children who sleep just fine despite having been supported to sleep um, in their early years. All right. So then my last bigger question is to tell us a little bit about what baby led sleep development is and why it's something that you are so passionate about. Yeah. So baby led sleep is, I think, ultimately about respecting what is biologically normal and appropriate for a child of any given age um, in terms of sleep. So, you know, we're not asking a four-month-old to sleep through the night. We're not asking a 12-month-old not to need support to fall asleep at the beginning of the night. We're kind of respecting where our babies and our toddlers find themselves in this moment, while also understanding that parents sometimes need to make changes. And we can always make those changes without limiting the responsiveness that we provide to our children. So when my baby was, or when my first baby was nine months old, I kind of went, let's say, down a little Google rabbit hole, um, looking for solutions for her sleep because she was waking up to nurse every hour and I couldn't manage that anymore. It just, I felt like I was at my limit. And so I, I turned to the internet and it seemed like all of the answers I got were something along the lines of sleep training and cried out and drowsy, but awake, which never worked and made me think I was going to lose my mind if I had to try it one more time. So something along the lines of sleep training or something along the lines of wait it out. So just wait, you know, by four or five years of age, most children are sleeping through the night. I was like, I, I can't, I can't wait four or five years for something to change. That's not going to work. And that's when I started to study infant and toddler sleep and biologically normal sleep and, and basically learn about ways that we can support our children to get longer stretches of sleep without ever leaving them to cry alone or without ever doing any so-called gentle sleep training. So, you know, just going in every three minutes or, or patting their back, but not picking them up or the chair method or all the other crazy methods out there that at the end of the day are all telling us the same thing, limit the amount of responsiveness you're giving to your child. And so Baby light sleep is about making changes in the direction that we need to, if we need to, if what you're doing is working for you, then there's no need to make a change while still honoring the attachment relationship. Okay. So this podcast is very much dedicated to the woman within the mother and making sure that she feels seen, heard, whether it's things that we do for ourselves, partners, whatever. So what is something or ways that you honor the woman within you? My side, I mean, I wouldn't even call it the project I guess my side hobby would be photography um Mm. and I love to take out my my DSLR and take pictures mostly of my kids and my family um and actually it's a really great way you know sometimes the days do feel long um 10 hour days home with two little kids just myself and, and and they can get a little tedious sometimes and I find that pulling out my camera and trying to capture the beauty that is all around me forces me sometimes to appreciate beauty that I might have missed and it also keeps me entertained during the days that feel long and never ending. Um, so it's a fun way for me to honor kind of myself while still being present with my children. So I'm going to have to say photography is how nice. I do that. That's perfect. Well, thank you for your time and sharing all of this stuff. And thank you, Romy, for joining us today. <laughs> Those roles are a vibe. <laughs> um, they are. Mm-hmm. And if there's any last things that you want to share or what you have going anything like that the floor is yours I guess I just want to reiterate a point that I didn't touch on enough I think in our talk today which is you know if what you're currently doing is working for you then you don't have to change anything if you're currently nursing to sleep or rocking to sleep or bed sharing or if your baby is only taking 30 minute nap or if they're going to bed at 9 p.m every night 
but these things are working for your family and they're jiving for your family. And, you know, it's just kind of the path of least resistance in, in the season that you're in right now. There's absolutely no need to change that. And it's totally okay to lean into what's working. And when it stops working, then you can make a change. And that's ultimately what I built my, my sleep courses um, for infants and for toddlers around is that we can keep doing what's working for us for as long as it's working for us. And then when it no longer is working and, you know, we feel like, okay, something's got to give and, and we've got to start doing things a little bit differently, then I'm here to support your family to make some changes. But we never have, I never want parents to feel like, anything that they're doing is wrong or a bad habit. Um, it's only a problem if it's not working for you, but if it is working for you, you do you. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I will make sure to share all of your information and links and pages and that kind of stuff in the show notes and people can get involved with Caitlin. (laughs) So thank you. And this is thank you for having me yeah I I wish I could have stayed longer and chatted more about sleep but um yeah I was really thrilled to be here today with you thank you so much for listening in as always if you enjoyed leave us a review it really supports our channel and it helps it to grow and let other people who might be interested in this stuff find us and then also please just share it subscribe um love it whatever it is that you guys do to keep supporting we appreciate it so much and we will chat on the next episode